Let me invite you to still remain standing just for another moment as we read God's Word together. Um, an odd text to be reading on Christmas morning, but we are going to read from Ezekiel 37, verse 15, and through the end of the chapter. And here we will, want, we will begin our thoughts about, actually, this, this, this celebration of the incarnation of Jesus this morning. Let us hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick and write on it. For Judah and the people of Israel associated with him, and take another stick and write on it, for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him, and join with join them one to another into one stick, that they may become one in your hand. And when your people say to you, um, Will you tell us what this is means what, what sorry, will you not tell us what this means by, by these? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am about to take the stick of Joseph, that is the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel associated with him, and I will join it with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, that they may be one in my hand. When the sticks on which you write are in your hand before your eyes, then say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the people of Israel from the nations among which they have gone, and I will gather them from all around and bring them to their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be over them all, and they shall be no longer two nations and no longer divide into two kingdoms. They shall not defile themselves anymore with their idols, nor their detestable things, or with any other transgressions, but I will save them from all the backslidings in which they have sinned, and will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God." My servant David shall be king over them, and he shall and, and they shall have all and they shall all have one shepherd. They shall walk in my rules and be careful to obey my statutes. They shall dwell in the land that I gave them, gave to my shepherd, my servant Jacob. Excuse me. And when their fathers, where their fathers lived, they and their children and their children's children shall dwell there forever. And David, my servant, shall be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God indeed. You may have a seat. Well, welcome again this Christmas morning. It is deeply encouraging. Let me just say this before I launch into our time in the Word. It is deeply encouraging to be here with you this morning. Um, you know, we don't know. You know. Everyone has traditions and everyone has commitments. And I'm thankful that we're able to gather in this place. And I just see all the people that I love so dearly in here in this room. And I see lots of new faces. And it's very encouraging to be together here with you this morning um, to celebrate. I mean, I can't imagine if we seriously, to whatever, whatever degree you celebrate Christmas, and I know there's different views within the church and within the Christian, within Christendom about this issue, but whatever level it is, if you say to whatever degree that this is a time in which we set aside to celebrate the incarnation, the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to celebrate and to look forward to his coming again, um, I can't imagine why God's people would not want to be here on the Sabbath in the room together celebrating the King Jesus. Amen? And I'm glad we're here doing it together this morning. Well, as I noted a minute ago, a reading from a passage in Ezekiel, particularly Ezekiel 37, may appear a bit odd on Christmas morning. And I, and I would say, in fact, I, maybe it's maybe not too far leaning off the edge here to think that maybe 
This might be one of the only sermons this morning on Christmas morning that's actually going to deal with Ezekiel 37 as a Christmas text. All right, so we're going to see what happens with this, okay? Um, but before we dismiss it, or maybe you're thinking, okay, pastor's trying to do some theological gymnastics, and he's going to make some, you know, some half-cocked connections with Ezekiel and the Incarnation. I, I want to suggest to you this morning that actually quite the opposite, that we actually have before us a valid introduction, a valid reflection that drives us into who Christ is. It helps us look forward to Christ, not only His first coming, which we celebrate in the Incarnation, but also as we look for His second coming. And particularly, we're going to look more towards the second coming this morning because I had planned if I'm just being honest with you I had planned to cover this text last week and it was part of my whole reshifting the old uh, version of our sermon for last week because I really felt like this was part of what the Lord would have us for to, to consider this morning so here's my hope this morning I hope that by considering what God providentially okay what God has given to us in his word as we've studied through it systematically here in Ezekiel and 37 that our hearts will have cause to take deeper joy in the Incarnation this morning than maybe we had intended. Um, just for a moment, consider reading this text, if you can, and I know this is a little difficult because we're not them, perhaps through the eyes of a Jewish exile who would have been hearing Ezekiel's words, okay? And they hear these words after all of these, he's been saying, all the judgment, all the the very discouraging message of Ezekiel, and we've looked through some encouraging texts of 30, you know, 34, uh, the, this new shepherd king. We've looked at 35 and 36, this new people with a new spirit and a new heart. And then he finally comes to the end of chapter 37, and they hear this astounding truth. It seems unbelievable. Why does it seem unbelievable? Because... Many centuries earlier, the nation of Israel, as we know it, at least post-David, under his son Solomon, and after his son Solomon, the kingdom split. Most of us know this storyline. If you've been in Sunday school, you understand they're split into two kingdoms, right? There's the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah, and, it's rep and you can see it here in the text that we've read here this morning. And so they hear this promise about these two sticks that have, been, have now once broken, but now they're going to write together and they're going to be united once again. These people that have been not only split, but have been scattered to the nations. It's really the more of the emphasis here, I think. Um, now are going to come back to one people again. This one people will be brought back to these two peoples. These scattered people will be brought back to one people. And they'll have one shepherd. And they'll have one king to rule over them. You might call this the one shepherd king. And so they hear this message from Ezekiel, and you can imagine the joy that might be there. I mean, they're probably a little bit like, oh, can I, can I be happy about this? Because it seems so far off, it seems so removed from me. But what a happy day for them to hear this message, that from, for all intents and purposes, these two nations that have been divided, right, northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, they don't exist anymore. Remember? I mean, Assyria pretty much obliterated all of Israel and, and absorbed them, and, they've, and they went into all of their, their kind of idolatry and false worship. And so that, that, that hasn't been, they haven't been heard of in, in Northern Kingdom for, for centuries. And then you get this Southern Kingdom, which has been absorbed by Babylon, and they have been utterly destroyed. The, the temple's been destroyed, the city's been destroyed, the people have been removed, they've been spread all over the Babylonian Empire. And now they're getting this message that not only... Are, but these, these nations are going to be a one people again. 
How could that possibly be? Well, because they knew that they were trained well, that there would be a king, a long-awaited Messiah, and the prophets had been talking about it. They had ignored the prophets largely, that he would gather his people from those nations and he would make them one people again. Now, you and I know that this shepherd king that we're speaking of here in Ezekiel 37, if you've been paying attention to our series so far, you, you and I know that this shepherd king is the servant David. And that this servant David is what we've already discussed in chapter 34, that is the true and better shepherd, Jesus, the Son of God, who came in the flesh, i.e. the incarnation. That the way this new shepherd bears his rule is coming in the flesh. He comes to be our people, and what he does when he comes in the flesh is what? He dies on the cross. He lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross that we deserve, and then overcomes death through his resurrection. And he will cause... We said this back in 34, so I'm just repeating what I said already. He will cause his people to keep his ordinances and his statutes and obey them. So it's not going to be a people who are just saved in and, and, and some kind of arbitrary way, but he's actually changing them from the inside out. A people who have a new ordinance, a new uh, uh, disposition towards God's law, a new disposition towards God's ordinances and what he says is good and right. This is the people of God that are going to be brought back together and rescued from the nations by this one shepherd Jesus. Now, to be sure, the good, a good Jew would have heard this, Jewish per, uh, exile would have heard this promise located where? Located in their ethnic background, right? And in their geographical context. And they would have thought in their mind what he's saying about these two sticks was what? That they would be united and therefore this one great nation would come back to rise into its own place. Now, I know that many Christians debate over this issue, and that's okay, and we leave room for that here at Grace Church, but I want to share with you for a moment why I don't, I'm not convinced that that's what is in view here. I'm not convinced that that's in view here, and I, and I hope to be humble about that for several reasons. One is from the text itself that we've read here. Look at verse 15. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, take a stick and write on it for Judah... Notice what it says here. And the people of Israel associated with him. So there's this nation, Judah. But then he qualifies it by Israel that's associated with him. And this one is, notice what he says next. And take another stick and write on it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and all the house of Israel associated with him. So what he's doing is he is noting that there's these two nations that have split. But he's noting a, a more deeper spiritual reality of those nations that have a particular people associated with it. These people of Israel and I would, I, I, would, I would argue that that's a spiritual people, a theological people, a people saved by God's grace and how, who have their full fruition in the one people of God who are saved in Christ. And, and we'll get into that a little bit more next week as we get into chapter 38 and 39. So I don't want to spend a great deal of time here this morning. But that's the first reason I think we would have to say that there's, it's not just a limited to their ethnic and their geographical context, but there's, there's, he's qualifying these two people by you know, in their, in their geographical and ethnic context. He's, he's, he's taking them, but he's distinguishing them and saying, we're talking about the true people of Israel that's associated with them. The people who are of the covenant, the people God had promised. Right? So stick with me here, okay? Because I promise you it's going to get way better. Christopher Wright says in his commentary about this is that the sad political division that, a, that had transpired against and through Israel in those two divisions could never destroy the fact that there was only one covenant people in God's eyes. I think he makes an, an important assessment there. 
that the whole point was never about what happened in the, in the nation of Israel, per se, the ge geographical and ethnic people, but that, that what they represented in the, in the one covenant people who are to be God's spiritual heritage on the earth. Okay? So just kind of stick with me when you say that, okay? But there's a second reason, and it goes along with what I just said. I think if you read this and you get into reading the 38 and 39 and all that stuff that goes beyond it, what we find is Ezekiel envisions a future that will not only restore the survivors of Judah, right, and the survivors of northern kingdom Israel, but it, but it will constitute what Ezekiel has in mind, a new people, a reconstructed people of God's original covenant, um, and they're not defined by their ethnic or geographical boundaries, but further by a theological boundary of people saved by faith through grace, grace through faith, right? In fact, if we look at Hebrews, what we find, it says that, that who, how was Abraham saved? By faith. All these men, these men and women in the great hall of faith lived by faith and it was given to them by grace. Again, Christopher Wright notes this. Ezekiel is determined to insist that the future of God's people is a future for one people. One God, one people, one covenant. And as I've noted this in other sermons all the way through this time, I don't believe God has made two covenants with two different peoples when the, when the vision we see in the New Testament, and particularly in Revelation, is pointed to one people who will indwell the new heavens and new earth under one King Jesus forever. I believe, as we see this, and we see Ezekiel rightly, that we have two we have that, that a two covenants view of, of the Old Testament versus the New Testament, like God has two different peoples, is really not a very fair way of looking at the text. It's actually just one people who've had one promise, and God shows forth that promise and finishes that promise in, in Christ. Now, that's the, that's the hardest part we have to deal with on Christmas morning, okay? All right, so here's where we're going to go. Regardless of where you might stand on those issues, and again, I think there's plenty of room to debate it, okay? Almost nobody... That I've read in my years of being a pastor and even read this week in this passage. Almost, I'm sorry, almost everybody agrees on these things. Number one, that God will create one great nation for his name. That's it. When this is all said and done, when we get beyond this time epoch that we are finding ourselves in, when Jesus returns, there's going to be one great nation under one king who will reign as one shepherd. And they will live happily ever after. Okay, so again, through all these things in terms of trying to rightly appropriate and, uh, and interpret Ezekiel 37, let me just say this, that I think at the end of the day, almost nobody disagrees with the fact that this is what's the main end. One nation under one God reigning under one shepherd. And that this people, as we see in this text, and you can go back and read for yourself, are cleansed from the idolatry. They're live under the righteous rule of the son of David, Jesus, in perfect obedience, securing God's land under an, under an everlasting covenant of peace that will permeate the presence of God to his people for eternity. That's what Ezekiel is looking forward to. And when you begin to push forward in that, then what this means is it looks forward to Jesus' second coming, does it not? It's looking beyond even the time that we're in since Jesus' first coming. And it's looking forward to a one reunited people transcending those two kingdoms of the Old Covenant and New Covenant, if you want to say it that way, where there'll be one true Israel collected from what? Ethnic Israel, yes. And what? 
the rest of the nations, the Gentiles. In fact, that's exactly what all of Paul's letters, particularly Galatians, are all about, is that how the, we've been grafted in to this great covenant under Christ. And so Paul concurs. Again, go read Galatians yourself, particularly Galatians 2 and 3, and it will help you out there. Or in Ephesians, when God says he breaks down the wall, dividing wall of hostility into one people, a one new humanity, believing, uh, believing Jews and believing Gentiles, united through the cross of Christ and made acceptable to God because of Christ's sacrifice. Now let's go back to Christmas Day for a moment and prepare our hearts for singing some more carols and taking the Lord's Supper together. What we have here in Ezekiel is him establishing, as it were, I think a perfect text that makes us celebrate all the more for Christmas morning. Why? Because it's all about a shepherd king. Always about a shepherd king. It was never about Israel. It was never really about us. Right? I was talking to one of our elders this morning and reflecting on an experience they had in, in, a, in another service recently. And, 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 and the reality is, is that when you read text with lenses where it looks at us, we're looking at that text wrong, but we need to look at these texts in this text through the lens of the shepherd king, Jesus, find and see God and what he is doing here. The shepherd king who unites all of God's people together under his cross. Friends, this is what the Christian faith is all about. The shepherd king comes in human flesh. He's born of the Virgin Mary. And why does he do that? Because he comes to do and live the way you and I fail to live. And why the incarnation matters and why we look forward to Jesus' second coming is because he comes in flesh and does what you and I are utterly incapable of doing for ourselves, which is living a life that is, that is, that is acceptable to God. But he does it for us on our behalf by being, coming into flesh and being born of this virgin Mary. Now let's move a little bit closer then to those traditional reflections of Christ's birth. And let's go to, uh, to Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I don't just invite you to read this text with me. I'm going to pick up in verse 8 and read through 14. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you, and you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, saying, Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So the angels appear to these shepherds. Irony, isn't it? They come to announce the great shepherds come, and they come to shepherds. And they make this unfathomable announcement that we, every year we celebrate it, we read it, we read it in our homes, beside the fireplaces, we sing it in our songs. They make this announcement. And why is it important? Because this comes 
at the conclusion of what? A very dark night. No, not just a, 20, just a, a cycle of 10 or 11 hours, but a very dark night of 400 years of silence from God. When did that silence begin? After the exiles go home, no more prophets speak to Israel for 400 years. And they're wondering, has God abandoned his? The true faithful would have hung close to God's promises. Ezra, even when they would go back to that time and they rebuild the city with Nehemiah and rebuild the temple, they had their celebrations and everyone was trying to, trying to muster up all the excitement about being back home. But again, it's one of the children's Bibles that we used to read to our children, says, I think very poignantly, the old men looked around and they cried because they realized it's not the same. Why? Remember in Ezekiel, we have seen God leave Jerusalem. His glory leaving Jerusalem. It's no longer, he's no longer there. At least temporarily, he's no longer there. He's left the temple there. And he's now going to, as we'll see in a few weeks, return. He's going, he's going to be with his people who are in exile. The God's people aren't defined by a geographical position place. They're not defined by an ethical, ethnic, ethnic place. But they are people who find their home wherever God's presence is. And his presence is with them. And so under the cover of the darkness of night this night, God reveals himself through this announcement from these angels. And he sent them this great announcement. It's not just now, but it's something far greater than now. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah that they will go and they will, they will give homage to, to Jesus here in just a few verses. They will bring, and he will bring peace on earth and he will bring goodwill toward man and ultimately shows his favor to his own people. If we celebrate Christmas, and however you celebrate Christmas, never lose, never lose sight of this fact, that Jesus comes in the flesh the first time and we wait for his second coming so that peace on earth would dwell with us. And we don't look to human forms, we don't look to human means to, to generate peace on earth, but we look to the Christ, the King, the Shepherd King, who will come and has come, and He will come again, and He will bring joy to the world, which we'll sing here in just a few minutes. It's important that we order our thoughts appropriately, and frankly, even in our service this morning, how we ordered our songs appropriately as Kirk said a few weeks ago, Joy of the World was never really a Christmas carol. It was a, it was a carol about looking forward to the coming of Christ again. And so it's, not appropriate, it's, it's appropriate for us to consider the Christ who's come in the flesh once, but it's all the more appropriate as we look for him to come again. And you think about this very moment in which we live in, how much more do we need this today more than ever? And so yes, today, friends, we rightly celebrate Christ the King. His first coming, with an eye already to what he's accomplished on the cross and through his death and through his resurrection, yes and amen, but yet also we continually cast an eye to what? His coming return, where everything we would put in its right order when he returns. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, help us this morning as we prepare ourselves for the Lord's table again. And maybe we come now with a new eye towards it, not just an eye towards what you've accomplished in the cross, but an eye towards 
that consummation when you will come again and you will invite us to a heavenly table and we will feast there forever and ever. May your people feast well this morning as, a, as, a, as, as we take of this, these elements this morning. And help us, Lord, as we sing, O Holy Night, and remind ourselves of who Christ is and what he's come to accomplish, but also as we look forward again and joy to the world for when he will come again and show us rightly that he is the Lord, that you are Lord and King over all things. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.